You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by Thoroughbred Racing Commentaries Global Rankings. Thank you for listening to the Saturday edition of the Nick Luck Daily Podcast with me, Charlotte Greenway. It's Friday the 25th of February. Following on from this week's podcast, in this episode we'll focus on the Saudi Cup meeting at Riyadh, where Nick has been all week. But first, some of the main news stories from the week, starting with a discussion on Monday regarding Paul Kimmage's article in the Independent Ireland on Sunday where he once again focused on the use of performance-enhancing drugs in Ireland. If you remember, Paul Kimmich was the one who spoke to Jim Bolger about this last year, and this time it involved the currently disqualified trainer Stephen Mann. And Jane Mangan explained more. Well, there's, there's two parts to this. Uh, this Sunday's was the first of two, where Steve Mann... He Paul Kimmage gives the whole background to Steve Mahan, how he grew up and his how he got into racing, how he worked with Kevin Prendergast and how he began training and fast forward on a few pages and he's talking about how he was disillusioned coming home from the races. He was full sure a horse is gonna run well and he just couldn't figure out what happened. So he's talking to a friend of his who for the purpose of this article is referred to as John Doe. This f- friend also used to hold a training license and now works for a prominent Irish yard and that trainer is called Trainer X. Um, He's speaking to his John Doe friend. He said, he called me one night when I was struggling and he said, it's not the horses, it's what you're running against. Steve Mahan asked, what did he mean? John Doe replied, you want to see the shit the horses are getting in trainer X's. They come in the back gate as pigeons and they go out to the races as ostriches. Everybody talks in racing. This is quoting the article. Uh, It was John Doe who talks to Mahan about everything he had seen. It was Mahan who talked to Bulger about everything he'd been told about trainer X. And it was Bulger who talked to Mahan about the best way to proceed. So This article is tying together a few stories from Jim Bulger threading through Steve Mahan and including then Dr. Lynn Hillier, the Chief Veterinary Officer for the IHRB. Jane did discuss this at length on Monday and so if you missed it, you can go back and listen to that in episode 242. On Monday, we learned that one of the runners in tomorrow's Saudi Cup, Mandaloon, trained by Brad Cox, was awarded the 2021 Kentucky Derby by the Kentucky Horse Racing Commission as Bob Baffert's Medina Spirit was officially disqualified after testing positive for banned substance betamethasone. Pat Cummings, director of the Thoroughbred Idea Foundation, explained on Tuesday that this matter, however, was far from over as Bob Baffert's lawyer, Clark Brewster, alluded that they would launch an appeal within the 10-day deadline. Uh, Clark Brewster has indicated that there are some differences in the regulations of the Kentucky Rules of Racing um, in regards to the specific type of beta-methasone and another one that has to do with how the uh, how it is administered and believes that absolutely... Uh, 
once this is being heard by a, quote, detached, neutral decision maker, um, suggesting an appeals officer, or quite possibly beyond that, the Franklin County Court, under which the Kentucky Horse Racing Commission's legal jurisdiction goes through, uh, which is really the state courts here in uh, in Kentucky, uh, that uh, other ideas will prevail. But for the time being, uh, as you said, Mandaloon is the winner of last year's Kentucky Derby. The biggest news story to come out of Britain this week was that champion jockey Asheen Murphy has been banned for 14 months, backdating to when he relinquished his licence in December, with 11 of those months for breaching COVID protocols and misleading BHA officials over a trip to Mykonos when it was on the red list, and three months for the two alcohol-related offences. Qatar Racing have announced that Asheen will continue to be a member of their team and Kieran Fallon Jr. will fill in as their number one jockey until February 2023. And of course, it's Friday, so the Dubai World Cup Carnival continued today where Doug O'Neill was once again on the score sheet, as was Charlie Appleby, who trained the 1-2 in the Group 3 Dubai Millennium Stakes, where the four-year-old son of Dubawi Royal Fleet managed to get his head in front after a couple of seconds, most recently behind all glitters. Now, tomorrow, Saturday, sees the third running of the Saudi Cup, run on the dirt at Riyadh, and with a total purse of $20 million, it's the world's most valuable horse race. It makes sense to start with last year's winner and this year's favourite, Mishrif, whose trainer Thady Gulston spoke with Nick on Thursday, first about the challenge he faces from his draw out in 14. 14 to 14 is not ideal at all. But it's, we'd rather be out there than right down on the rail. So we've got to look at the benefits, the pros of this. Um, he was drawn 12 or 14 last year and managed to overcome that. So uh, the pressure's on David. <laughs> yeah, he's one of these horses that, you know, he's, he's sailed through his life just winning loads of races, but not sort of being massively in the spotlight. This week, it's really all about him. Are you feeling that a bit? Yeah, very much so. You know, obviously, he's a horse that's owned by uh, Prince Faisal, who's, who's from Saudi Arabia, of course. And he was a horse that obviously attracted a lot of public attention last year. It was wonderful to see after the race how much you know, celebration there was, how much streaming there was down the straight for him. And um, you know, you're, you're very much aware that he's, he's sort of the horse that people here almost want to win. And hopefully he'll be able to deliver that. Are you feeling that? Are you feeling the pressure? Well, you know, Nick, if you don't feel pressure, I guess it's probably time to give up. <laughs> but, um, You've only just started. Exactly, yeah. yeah. What are you trying to say? <laughs> but no... Um, Definitely, definitely a little bit, but you know, we've got a wonderful team out here, very experienced, and the horse settles in here well, and he enjoys it, and he seems to thrive when he's travelling. It's very straightforward, and you just have to try and get on with it, and um, and hopefully he does a good quit of himself on the day. How do you read the competition relative to last year? I'd say it's a deeper field than last year, you know. Last year there were a couple of horses. You had obviously those big uh, American heavyweight dirt horses, and it's going charlatan in there, and they were pretty, pretty tough nuts to track. This year, I think there's horses from all over the world who are presenting pretty serious challenges. There's a local horse here, there's a Japanese horse, T.O.T. So I watched the replay of his last run. It looks good, doesn't it? looked like he jumped into the furlong pole. I mean, oof. I'm not sure the ones behind him are light, but I guess we'll find out. And obviously, you know, you have the American dirt horse come over who, this is their game, and they've come out of a warm climate over there and, and have had prep races and are bang on for this. So we'll have to see. I mean, can you do anything at home to try and you know, counterbalance the, the, the fact that you're coming from not freezing cold, but a coldish winter in England to a, to a warmish climate here? You know, you um, obviously keep them well, I definitely keep them warm, but 
There's not a lot you can do. Fortunately, you can see, I'm sure you can see the difference between the Colts and the Geldings out here in the Phillies. But, the, but Mr. F's coat is amazing. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's even warm in the winter. And um, the Colts, obviously, testosterone helps their coats. And they stay a bit glossier. And they don't, a lot of them don't tend to rough off as much. And he's a ready example of that. And when he stands next to the other horse over here, Rovin, you can really tell the difference between the Gelding and him. Um, you know, you just have to try and try and play to the strengths you have and give it your best shot, really. Yeah, you're running Herovian on the undercard. Do you give him any shot? I think, you know, he's, he's been training well, he's enjoying it out here, but obviously he's towards the bottom end of the ratings. Um, he seems to be in good form at the moment, but then, you know, we're taking on proper proven group one horses such as Pile Driver, who all thrive over the mile two and a half. Um, so he has to be realistic about his chances, but, you know, he's also drawn very wide, <laughs> which isn't ideal. But uh, hopefully he gives, gives a good show. Well, the draw's not been kind to you, but this place has been kind to you the last couple of years. Lady, good luck. Thanks a lot, Nick. Michelle, you and Matt Bernier are out in Riyadh with Nick and spoke to him about the American contenders for the Saudi Cup, with Michelle first discussing the strength of the US challenge on the whole. I think it's an interesting one. I don't think that we have a superstar name like we did last year when we had Nick's go and Charlatan come in, but I feel like we have a very good contingent that's carried their game from track to track, and we have a little rivalry that goes on between Mandaloon and Midnight Bourbon, mm. so I think that makes it very intriguing. I found the interviews with um, Steve Asmussen and Brad Cox that, that we conducted for the presser a couple of weeks ago really interesting, mainly because Asmussen, trainer of Midnight Bourbon, was bullying this horse up as though he was the he was the next curl in the next gun runner sort of saying this could be the best horse in in the world by the end of the year are you do you get it no honestly uh and i don't mean that in a bad way but we we've seen we've seen this head-to-head rivalry between mandaloon and midnight bourbon a number of times the only time midnight bourbon was able to get the better of mandaloon was when he had everything go his way in one of the derby preps on the front end last year Otherwise, I just think Mandaloon's a better racehorse. Now, that doesn't mean that Midnight Bourbon doesn't have a pretty key tactical advantage in this spot because he assumes to be, if not outright on the lead, among the leaders early on, and I think Mandaloon's going to start his run from slightly farther back. So maybe that's going to turn the tables, um, but I, I, I don't know that I can <laughs> fully back that statement. Uh, Brad Cox says, before I come to Michelle, Brad Cox says Mandaloon's grown up now. You, a couple of times to me last year, said to me, is he a bit of a softy? What do you think? Well, I, I'm hopeful the Louisiana is sort of foreshadowing that he has put it together mentally because that was his biggest downfall to me last year. He ran in spots. He had moments where it looked like he had no reason to lose, and he would lose, specifically down at the fairgrounds. Uh, I thought his Kentucky Derby run was admirable, but I thought the better horse won that day. Medina Spirit, we're not going to get into that. Bigger picture, if he's put it all together... He is arguably the most likely winner of this race, aside from Mishrif. Um, having said that, I don't know that they are head and shoulders above the rest of the field. To Michelle's point, maybe we don't have the superstar headliner. I think this is a much deeper race this year, though. Oh, so it's a, it's a, a really com- competitive race. Uh, Michelle, but for the fact that he's owned by Judmont Farms, who would dearly love to win this race in, in memory of, of Prince Khaled Abdullah, he's now, of course, officially their first Kentucky Derby winner. Is Mandaloon the right type of horse for this type of test? That slightly unusual dirt surface, quite demanding in terms of its kind of a, the, the way that it rides, the, the one turn nine furlongs. Is he the right type of horse for this? You know, I think most of our contingent actually might be the right type of horse because it's something different, right? Like Matt said, we've seen Mandaloon try different things and he just isn't 
elite at any of those. You know, when we saw Nick's go come last year, we thought because he's so brilliantly fast that the one turn would really play in his favor. It didn't. He has to carry a speed over two turns. But with Midnight Bourbon and with Mandaloon, just because they haven't expressed something that they need to have specifically, having this different configuration, having the long run-ups, having that sloping turn, something in that might really click with one of these. All right, so Bill Mott's tried this a couple of times before with, ironically enough, a Judd Mott horse in Tacitus. <laughs> now he comes back with wait, a... Wait, I called Midnight Bourbon the new Tacitus. <laughs> yeah, my... <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, Steve Asperson may not like you for that, but know, yeah. Right. So, so Mott's coming in here now with Art Collector, who won the Woodward at Saratoga, which is... Uh, 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 Belmont Park, I'm, I beg your pardon. Used to be at Saratoga, now at Belmont. Trick, nearly tricked myself there. Which is the one turn nine furlongs. So does that mean, yeah, this will be this will be perfect for him? No, not necessarily, right? Because we're talking still a different field, a different type of horse, different running styles. I mean, anytime that you, I think, take your horse out of an element in which they're accustomed to, especially an East Coast horse, and you throw in things like European closers down this long stretch, which is a very grinding situation, and you throw in things like Bob Baffert horses, which have speed, it just completely changes the complete layout of the game. So you can't say just because he won one one-turn nine furlong race, this is going to be his game, absolutely. So, okay, if you're looking for a grinder, uh, Matt Bonilla, would Bob Baffert's country grammar fit that bill? It seems as though Baffert's been very keen to get country grammar into this race. And he, in past years, has said, well, it's not enough of a speed track for my type of horse. He's a very good horse. He's an underrated horse. I was just chatting with Michelle before. I thought he was one of the best older horses in the United States prior to being sidelined last year. Uh, he had run really big in his two starts in Southern California, including a win in the Hollywood Gold Cup. And unfortunately, we didn't get to see him again. I think he's the kind of horse that if he's ready to go in a spot like this, he doesn't have to have the lead. He can sit just off. And I think the distance is going to be an issue for him. I can't say that about everyone else with that long straightaway. Uh, I, I think he's he is probably the most intriguing American entrant of the four. As well as a strong American challenge, there's also two fierce challengers from Japan in Breeders' Cup Distaff winner Marsha Rain and Tio Keens, who we'll see outside of Japan for the first time. Nihiro Goda is a regular on the podcast and he gave Nick an insight into how highly these two are rated in Japan, starting with Marsha Rain and her win at Del Mar was the kind of a surprise for most of us in Japan because, you know, Marsha Rolin is the, you know, domestic grade stakes winner at NAR, but he, she didn't win any important race at JRA. So we didn't, you know, rate her as, you know, one of the best dart horses in Japan. So it was, a, you know, kind of pleasant surprise for us. Yeah, so maybe she she overachieved in the distaff. Maybe you'd been underestimating her. Certainly the way she travelled through the race in America didn't suggest it was a complete fluke. It wasn't as though she was right off the back and the race completely collapsed, even though that early pace was was very searching. Exactly, you know, the early furious pace, you know, helped her a lot. But, uh, you know, we understand she liked the track at Del Mar very much, you know, it was a very, very suitable track for her. You know, the surface in America is a slightly different with the surface, that surface in Japan. I understand Marsha Ronen, you know, handled the Del Mar that track very well. And I understand the track at the King Abdulaziz is quite similar to America. So I do hope, you know, she is going to 
reproduce her form in America on Saudi Cup. That's quite interesting because yeah, the, the received wisdom is that the King Abdulaziz racecourse is slightly different from all other dirt tracks and it's just that a little bit deeper and, uh-huh. and softer. But of course, people would say perhaps the same sometimes about Del Mar, that it's a, a sometimes a slightly deeper track or a more unusual track or it plays slightly differently. And maybe that's what, that's what helped Marsh Lorraine. Either way, do you think she's in, in good form? Are the vibes good from, from the Marsh Lorraine camp? You know, after after her trip, you know, returning from the America, she was a bit tired. But uh, Yoshito Yehagi gave her four weeks easy time. Then you know she's now refreshed. And I, I watched a video of her final work at, at Rito Training Center, which is excellent. And the Yehagi is you know, very happy, very happy with her condition now. I think you know she's in top form. Okay, that's the the horse that the wider world know a bit more about. As far as Japanese race fans are concerned, is it fair to say that T.O. Keynes is the number one contender for you in the Saudi Cup? Yes, that is my understanding. And T.O. Keynes, you know, is the JRA's dirt champion, Japanese dirt champion in 2021. And his performance in the Champions Cup in December was very, very impressive. You know, the second finisher was Chua Wizard, who finished second in Dubai World Cup last year. But the T.O. Keynes was six length ahead of Chua Wizard in Champions Cup. Oh, it was a really, really good performance. And definitely, definitely, he, he is now, you know, best that horse in Japan right now. So you assess the opposition. You've seen what Japanese horses can do against the rest of the world in the Breeders' Cup. You look at the Mandaloons and the Midnight Bourbons. You look at the, the Seelie Ways and the defending champion Mishrif. Do you believe that Japan can win the Saudi Cup this year? Well, I hope so, but uh, Nick, as you told me, the competition in Saudi Cup is a very, very strong. I think this is, you know, best, strongest field ever, you know, put together in Saudi Arabia. So I am, I hope, you know, either of the Japanese wins Saudi Cup for Japan. But, uh, well, I hope so, but uh, we will see. <laughs> In the build-up to the Saudi Cup on Saturday, there's plenty of international interest in the Neon Cup on the turf as Japan, the UK and France all run fancied runners and probably the best of the British is Coronation Cup winner Par Driver, who was second last time out in the Hong Kong Vars and his jockey Martin Dwyer spoke to Nick about whether the track at Riyadh was likely to suit him. He'd be fine on the track, he'll go on any track, you know, he... He's won Ascot York, he's won on sharp tracks, galloping tracks. Um, I've galloped him on the turf this morning. The turf's in terrific condition, it's a fantastic track. Um, the draw's a bit of an issue, I'm drawing 14, which isn't ideal, but what can you do? You've got to play the cards you're dealt. All right, so how do you play it then? I don't know. Obviously, I don't want to come from last, and I don't want to burn up too much petrol to get a prominent position, but the best thing to do is to not make a plan and just react to what's happening when the gates open. Do you reflect on Hong Kong and think, mm, could have left it a bit longer? No, not actually, no. I was, I was, I was willing to make the run in Hong Kong if I needed to. Um, and I changed plans as it unfolded and two went off in front and they actually went very, very slow. And um, the French horse was absolutely cantering behind me and um, I kicked when I turned in and um, that was what I decided to do. And live or die by he wasn't stopping at the line I think a better horse just beat him on the day and it was a terrific run from him the winner had great form and um, he's 
improved again, I think, personally, from Hong Kong. He's settled into, settled into Saudi. That was his first trip abroad, and I think he's taken it this time a bit better, so fingers crossed. William made a big play of that. He thought he really would improve for the, for the one travelling experience, and that's what the guys are saying here. Yeah, do you know what? It's a big, it's a big difference when you take a horse like this. Um, he's running all his racing in the UK and then the first time you go abroad it's a big eye opener for the horse and when you meet you come up against opposition that are used to travelling and being around the world it's a big difference you know he had a lot to learn but I think he's learned from it and I think he's improved Martin best of luck thank you very much it promises to be an exciting afternoon of racing and I'll be keeping my fingers crossed that Mishrif can go on and become the highest earning racehorse of all time Thank you very much for listening. Nick will be back with you on Monday morning. Have a great weekend. You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with Fitzdares, the Racehorse Owners Association and Thoroughbred Racing Commentary. Mm-hmm.